Welcome, everyone, to the Nerd Journey Podcast, episode number 69. We're joining you every week to talk IT career progression and bring you the advice we wish we'd been given earlier on in our careers. I'm your host, John White, at VJourneyman on Twitter, joined by my co-host, Nick Cordy, at NetworkNerd underscore. Hey, Nick, how's it going? Hey, John, I'm doing great. We are both pre-sales technical engineers with backgrounds in IT operations. We hope our careers discussions will be vendor neutral, relevant across disciplines, and remain timeless. If you're enjoying our content, please drop us a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you subscribe. And if you want to get in touch with us, tweet or DM at Nerd Journey. Ultimately, we're just two nerds on a journey. A journey to virtual enlightenment. So let's take a trip. Awesome. Great, Nick. Hey, uh, let's talk about our topic today, jump straight into it, and that is working remotely. Um, I think just a little bit of context, we're currently recording um, uh, in early March of 2020, and you know, in the current events is news of the uh, COVID-19 virus, and uh, I think various events around the world are getting uh, canceled, you know, so no crowds over a thousand people and um, more and more offices are being uh, told to uh, work from home. And, and I think uh, in that context, um, we decided like one of the things that we wanted to do was talk a little bit about how to be successful when working remotely. Um, you know, even there was just the use case like you and I, where we've worked on teams that were just, you know, dispersed across, you know, medium to large amounts of uh, space. And uh, and it just didn't make sense to have everybody in, in a single office. So, you know, there's a bunch of different cases out here, but, um, you know, that's the one that's kind of in the news right now. Um, so we wanted to talk about how to be a successful worker while working remotely. Nice. You should say working remotely one more time in that sentence. We're actually working remotely right now. Does that do it? <laughs> the, the trifecta? Yeah, absolutely. I think that's the, uh, I think we hit all three. Um, yeah, you and I actually remotely collaborate on this podcast, right? You're in uh, the Dallas-Fort Worth area and I'm in the San Francisco Bay area. We've uh, only ever sat and recorded together in the same room twice. So... Um, yeah, that's, you know, we've, uh, hopefully had some experience on that. And then, you know, we've also worked, like I said, on remote teams for multiple years. Uh, we've also both been on-site in-person employees. Um, and I kind of recently transitioned back to being an in-office guy. So, um, you know, we've had varied experiences and hopefully we can bring to bear some of our expertise and experiences, uh, and have some solid uh, advice on how to be a remote worker. Sounds good. Some uh, employers will actually let you work remotely, you know, maybe one day a week or uh, once every other week or something like that. You know, uh, I think we had uh, a discussion where we heard of somebody who negotiated that or maybe er Amy Hervey, like, you know, told us off mic about, you know, that being a possible thing to um, negotiate. I don't remember exactly where we heard that, but, um, you know, it's, it's something that can be baked into your career, whether or not, you know, there happens to be a, um, you know, virus that's going around. <laughs> um, so with that in mind, 
let's talk, uh, let's get into it. Uh, what works? Um, the first section, Nick, we called be at work. What does that mean? Well, you have to have the mindset that even though you are physically not at the office, that you are working. Like it's time to do things for my job, my employer who pays the bills. If you don't have that mindset and take it seriously, then you're going to fail. Yeah, it's not a vacation day, right? You're working yeah. from home. That means that you are working from home <laughs> or working remotely, right? So you maybe aren't at home, but you maybe go to a coffee shop and work there if, if that's where you're successful at doing that. But you are working remotely, not taking a day off. That's a really good point. Yeah, um, it's not to be taken lightly for sure. Yeah. So I think one of the kind of classic pieces of advice here is to um, create a space for your work. Uh, you know, some people work on a kitchen table or a dining room table. Um, I think if that works for them in that moment, that's probably fine. Um, you know, my recommendation would be um, to create a partitioned off separate space. And you can even create that with like some room dividers you know, just a corner of a living room, for example, uh, the room dividers can be super temporary and they don't need to be super expensive, but it just creates a separate physical space. So um, you can, you know, think of it as being at work, you know, the physical barrier sometimes, you know, creates that psychological um, uh, room for you to, to act as if you are at work. Right. And just like you have a physical workspace, don't forget about the digital workspace, John. Oh, okay. Yeah. Like that's, that's up to the individual person, right? To have that uh, digital workspace. <laughs> Couldn't help it. But right. one thing I will say is arrange the things you're going to use for work, this area where you're going to work in an ergonomically pleasing way so that you don't end up with carpal tunnel or some kind of back or neck strain because it's not an ideal yeah. area. Totally agree. Um, also hours, like that's something that I think I kind of dropped before, uh, talk about before, but you know, maybe you can talk about your experience of trying to create normal work hours when working remotely. Yeah. I, I think I just kind of fell into it. And if you're, if you're working closely with someone, then you may just adapt yourself to their schedule. Mm -hmm. Maybe they don't get started until nine o'clock. So you adjust your schedule to get started then and they work a little bit later, like a 6 p.m. or 7 p.m. in some cases. So, but I think to start with, to give you a standard, you really need to go into it with a mindset of, okay, I'm going to at least work, you know, 7.30 to 5.00. With, with the built-in break there and I can, once I get in the habit, I might be able to flex up or down easily to adjust when needed. But if you don't start building the habit of creating a, a set time that you're going to work, mm -hmm. then again, you're, you're going to fail. And I like the idea of building in a lunch break. Like at some point I am going to stop. I'm going to walk away from my work area and I'm gonna eat lunch. I'm not gonna eat at my desk. I'm going to go to the kitchen, you know, in my case, if I'm home, 
I'm going to eat in there separate and apart from the workspace. Right. Yeah. I think that's an important thing. You know, you see people in the office, a lot of times they'll eat at their desk or even when they work from home, eat at their desk, even if it's just 15 minutes, take a second, put, put the work aside for just a little bit. Even if all you do is let your mind wander and just take time to eat and actually digest your food. <laughs> it's a psychological break. And I think yeah. it's, it promotes like, you know, actually more effective work, right? If you're 100% engaged in working, you know, while you eat, like you're probably not going to be eating mindfully and you probably won't be working like your full capacity, right? And you don't give yourself a break, which, you know, I think we both know um, when you like give yourself a break from, from thinking intensely about something, you know, that actually can help you recharge that battery to then get back to it and, and be more effective at it. So I really like that idea. I also like the idea of like kind of setting aside that those work hours for what your normal hours would be, right? So you said, you know, 7.30 to 5. If that's what, you know, if you normally would go into the office, you know, and work from 7.30 and leave at 5, like then that should be, you know, the expectation of, of yourself, you know, that you would work those hours. Um, and if you work, you know, slightly different hours, you know, whatever you're, you consider like normal business hours, you know, work those hours, right? It's not, again, not a vacation. It's just working remotely. I want to break in if I can. I, I think that that's especially important if you have a family and you're, you have small children, wife that stays home, spouse that stays home and uh, if if you don't create that expectation with them they'll just walk into your office and start talking to you and you know you have to set that boundary make them understand okay you know i need an hour or two and i'm going to break for lunch let's talk about it then instead of right now if you need something urgent then you need to text me as if i was at the office right right it's creating that psychological space Mm-hmm. Not just for yourself, but for the people in your life too. And actually that dovetails directly into the next point, which is create the expectation that you're not available, right? Just because you are physically closer doesn't mean that um, your partner or other members of your family can just access you as if you were taking a vacation day. Um, you You are working. You happen to be remote and you happen to be physically accessible to them, but that's not the same thing as being available. Right. It's not exactly low latency in the sense that you might think. Right. It doesn't have to be. It can be lower latency, but, um, you know, lower than, you know, being in an office, you know, 45 minutes away, but it's still, you know, it's still time to break away and, and being effect, you know, being an effective worker, or effective knowledge worker, which is most of us these days, you know, kind of requires uninterrupted concentration most of the time, right? It's very, very difficult to multitask. You know, some people would even say multitasking is a myth that what you're doing is just degrading your, uh, you know, effective work at, at one thing. Um, but yeah, it's, you know, it's just really important that, that you're not available now, you know, sometimes I'll, I'll build in things, you know, like, Hey, you know, I'll take an hour break, like you said, at lunch and, and, 
you know, my spouse will say, hey, you know, um, can you run this errand since you're going to be home? And, and I'll run it during the lunch hour, right? Um, so, you know, you are a little bit more available. Um, but, hey, maybe I would have run that errand if I was at the office anyway. So uh, just just keep those, you know, that advice in mind. Now, next we have uh, prioritize work consistently. What do you mean by that? I know some people do, you know, the sprint agile methodology. They have a sprint that certain tasks are on for the week and it gets reevaluated every so often. I really like the Tom Lemoncelli time management for systems administrators advice. Have an A, B, C priority system where A is I must finish this today. B is I would really like to finish this today. But if it slides a little bit, it's not the end of the world. And then C is, there's a chance I could finish this, but it's no big deal if I don't. And I, I like to try and re-swizzle things each day to fit mm. into those categories. Now, am I always successful? No, but I like that system. Got it. So assigning priorities to tasks, right? Which also means that you need to create a time to triage those tasks. Um, and I like the idea of doing that, like me personally, early in the day. It's like the first thing, right? Um, because it takes so much energy, uh, you know, brain energy to actually think about all the various tasks that you have and what priorities and what order to do them that, you know, should be one of the first things that you do when you have the most uh, blood sugar coursing through your body. Speaking of, John, why don't you share with the listeners what you shared with me about not having to make any decisions when you first get up? I oh, think yeah. that was really interesting. I think I got that from uh, your brain at work. Um, I'll have to double check that. But I think, you know, that was in, you know, the the episode that we did about, you know, books that uh, affect uh, how the way that we think um, around the new year. Um, was that? It was a bonus episode, right? Anyway, yes. um, it was the most recent bonus episodes that we did, and it was it was you know one of my book episodes. I think uh, maybe the Christmas week. I don't remember, but um, we'll figure it out and put a link in. But uh, in your brain at work, um, the author really advocated, uh, you know, this idea that uh, prioritizing. Uh, is the activity that the brain does that takes the most energy because you have to recall things from long-term memory, um, evaluate them, and then put them back into long-term memory. And then you have to, in order to prioritize things, you have to you have to bring multiple things out from long-term memory and then really kind of deeply get into them, figure out which one of them is more important. Um, you know, consider all kinds of dimensions like, oh, maybe this is the most important, but... Um, the other thing actually needs to be done at a different time, which makes it the most important. So um, it's just the, something that takes a whole lot of brain energy. And as a result, you should do it first. And um, the corollary to that, which I think is what you're referring to, is uh, because of that, you should take away decisions uh, from yourself and really simplify your life so that you don't make decisions, especially early in the morning. So things like what am I going to wear today, try to make those decisions like, you know, 
a lo- you know, a long time before. So you don't have to spend energy first thing in the morning making that decision. And if that means, you know, you lay your clothes out um, the night before, then that's, that's great. Um, and then you could go even further, like people like Steve Jobs, who just bought all the same clothes and always wore the same thing, right? So there was never was a decision. Um, it was just, you know, pick the next black turtleneck, right? And that was the only decision where the exact, you know, same uh, model of jeans, you know, and you have eight pairs or whatever, um, you know, and me, like I, I kind of went that route. I, I found like three shirts that I, I liked, and then I just bought like three copies of each. And then I rotate through those. Um, another thing that I remember reading in the book was, you know, lay your uh, bathroom toiletries out in the exact order that you use them. So you don't have to figure out what it is that you're doing next and then find the thing that you're going to use. So you just go from left to right or top to bottom or however you have it laid out and you just know the next thing to do. Um, so you never make any decisions, especially when you might be groggy and you know, you're prone to forget things. So, um, I'm not saying that it's, you know, made my life better, but I certainly don't have to make decisions early in the morning. And uh, I I find my quality of life to be much, much higher. Now, did you shave your head so that you don't have to decide how to fix your hair? That that's actually uh, you're joking about it, but it definitely was something that I that I considered. Yeah, I was like, oh, um, you know, it's uh, it's definitely easier. No, it was, it was a side effect, but, uh, but not the reason the re the true reason behind that is vanity. Ah, I see <laughs> figures. <laughs> All right. Um, and then I think, uh, you wanted to make sure that we talk about making sure that we build in time to move, right? Yeah. I mean, if you were in an office, it is highly likely that you're going to get up and use the restroom at some point. You're going to get up and get something to drink, I hope, at some point so that you stay hydrated and can focus. But when you're in your house, it's not as big as the office. So it may not be as far of a walk to where you would normally go, even if you only do that four times a day, let's just say. Mm-hmm. So if you have stairs, it might be a good idea to go to the bathroom upstairs. Mm. You know, just to get some extra activity, because if you're not careful, you you will gain weight. I promise you it, it will happen. But we know that movement stimulates brain activity. So mm. if you're completely stuck on something and you've hit a block, get up and walk around. You know, even if you go for a 10 minute walk outside, it can it can help. Let yeah. your mind wander a little bit. Again, another another little break in the action to, to help you refocus when you come back. Absolutely. Which is like a completely reasonable thing that we tend to do at work, right? It's like, okay, I'm stuck. I'm going to go talk to one of my coworkers for two minutes and then I'm going to walk over here and then I'm going to check this thing out. And then by the time I circled back to my desk, you know, 10 minutes have gone by, you know, and I'm kind of refreshed. Right. So, you know, completely reasonable to do that, you know, when you're working remotely as well. Good book on this. Uh, it's not all about getting up and moving, but Brain Rules by John Medina or Medina. Mm-hmm. He, he mentioned that and and how activity 
absolutely stimulates brain activity or movement does. Makes sense. Makes sense. All right. Um, next like major topic that we wanted to hit on, and this is something that like I've found uh, pretty effective, uh, camera on. Um, towards the end of my career at VMware, uh, the sales manager uh, the, of the team that I was kind of covering decided that it would be very helpful to have like a Friday afternoon meeting of the entire team where everybody had their camera on. And it was very refreshing. Um, it definitely made us a little bit more present. Um, we all chimed in a little bit more. Very cool. Um, now that I've moved over to Google, the culture there is camera on. And they they say that upfront while you're being onboarded, you know, um, hey, we have a camera on culture here. So, you know, just expect that, you know, if you don't have your camera on during a meeting, it's kind of weird, you know, and that's just a cultural thing that's going on there. So um, it drives like different behavior, right? First of all, um, the idea that you could uh, have like a 9 a.m. meeting and you roll out of bed at 8.55 and just uh, put on, you know, like a like a t-shirt, a ratty t-shirt, and then and jump on the call, like that goes out the window. You have to wake up, you have to take a shower, you have to dress professionally, um, whatever that means in your uh, industry, and then get on camera. And, you know, people are going to treat you, you know, the exact same way as if you were uh, on camera from the office, right? It's just, um, you know, it's no different. So uh, I, I found that very, very helpful in my experience. I don't know, like, Nick, how, how often are you on camera in meetings? Probably not that often now that you mention it. Um, not sure why I don't do it more. It's a cultural norm is what I found. So do you ever just get up and you're running late, you put on a dress shirt, but leave your sweatpants on and hope you don't have to stand up during the meeting? I mean, no, because like when I'm in the office, like it just like that would look bad, right? It's like, oh, 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 you mean if I was staying home? <laughs> in the office, that would just be funny. And I hope someone takes a picture. If you work with John and you heard this podcast, take, please take a picture and tweet it to Nerd Journey. <laughs> John in sweatpants with apparently a couch by his uh, desk <laughs> that he got up from. And then, wait, you said I had to put on a dress shirt? So I'm taking my dress shirt off at the office. This is a weirder and weirder situation. Um, yeah, so, you know, we're not going to think about that too much. But, um, yeah, I, you know, I, I have worked from home occasionally. And it, like, it just, you get in the habit, right? Your, your camera's going to be on for every meeting. And that drives your behavior um, accordingly. So if I'm not going into the office, you know, I certainly don't have that hour commute um, or however long it is. So I have a little bit more freedom to, to wake up a little bit later and, and start, you know, jump in the shower a little bit later, but I'm still going to be on camera. So it still, you know, drives all the, you know, regular morning um, shower and shave and brush teeth and, and all those kinds of things. So. But I think it drives hygiene. Yeah, yeah. 
that's that's good. Uh, you know, th there's an idea that I've I've heard of that I actually haven't done, which is to have um, camera on work buddies. So I've actually seen it and seen other people doing this, where the team that they're working with will all join the same meeting, and they're not necessarily working on the same thing, but they're on camera with each other and then working at their desks. So if you kind of had your desks in a circle and you were all facing each other, you know, it'd be the same effect. Like you could look up and, and look at all your other, you know, coworkers and you could, you know, talk to them, you know, on mic. Um, now, you know, people, if they needed to concentrate, they wouldn't have, um, their, uh, you know, headphones in or something like that. And, you know, they could even turn the camera off. They, they really wanted to make sure that, you know, they weren't interrupted, but they would still, be joined in the meeting, which I thought was a really cool idea. Um, so, you know, something to think about, you know, and of course you drop out of that meeting and join a different meeting if, if you're on that meeting, but um, the kind of default was to, to join your coworkers in a collaborative space um, and hold each other accountable to, you know, being at work. Right. So um, just something to think about. It does drive like another, a kind of larger topic though, and that is team communication, right? When you're working remotely from your teammates, um, you kind of lose out on the kind of organic uh, interaction that you would have if you were working in the same office space where you bump into each other at the water cooler or you know, you happen to be in the lunchroom at the same time and you say, hey, what are you working on? Hey, do you have any ideas on, on how you do something like this? All that organic interaction kind of goes away. So um, I think that the best case scenario is that you try to recreate that type of thing um, in a digital way, right? And we're living in the area era where you can be on a team group text you can be in a Slack channel. You could be in, you know, any any digital tool. It doesn't matter if you're all using the same tool, um, and you all can chat with each other. Then that's great. If you are on an audio chat with each other, then you can, you know, kind of ask on that chat. Um, that would work too. Um, and then, you know, one-on-one -on -one chatting. You know, texting somebody. Um, you know, kind of the expectation that they're working anyway and that you'll get a response in a reasonable amount of time. I mean, all those things, you know, kind of go together to kind of duplicate that at work experience. Does it make sense? Absolutely, it does. Um, just say no to group texts. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think that group texts are not as effective as something like um, a Slack channel or Hangouts, which is what Google uses internally. Um, but, um, you know, whatever, whatever it is that you need to do to kind of, uh, you know, shout out socially and, you know, ask for uh, work ideas, you know, to your peers on your team. I, I don't know if that was your experience, Nick, but like I felt like I didn't communicate with a team enough when I was on a remote team. Like we didn't have like a daily 15 minutes where we kind of, you know, I, I didn't have 15 minutes a day where I chatted with most of my teammates. You, you know, like what I'm trying to say is 
I have at least 15 minutes a day in the office where I'm just bumping into somebody organically. And it's usually way more than that. It could be more than an hour. But when I was working remotely, I had almost zero interaction on an average day with my teammates. Does that make sense? It does. And I think some of that is the environment fostered by the manager. You know, if it's a complete remote team, maybe they have team calls and encourage everybody to do some sort of roundtable. What are your thoughts on this so that other people can hear it? And you may begin to find that you have some of the same feelings on certain issues, and then you might want to talk about it one-on-one. So I, I remember, you know, when I onboarded, uh, the manager at the time said, hey, everybody reach out to this person. They're new to the team. Make sure you get to know them, schedule a one-on-one with them. And that was the standard when we had new people on the team. And I think it ended up creating a culture where I had no issue contacting somebody else from my team if I needed some help with something or to talk through something that they had an experience with. And I think it helps you get to know their strengths, weaknesses. You know, if you don't have someone driving the communication between people on a team and everybody's remote, it might not work out or be cultivated enough to really help everyone get to know each other and and how they can help each other. Yeah, I I really like what you said there. It, It basically speaks to the culture of the team, right? So if you have a healthy, interactive team culture where the expectation is you're going to be chatting on a regular basis and that's encouraged and that is the cultural norm, then you can recreate that same kind of an organic interaction. Maybe it's not quite as organic because you can't, you know, just bump into somebody as you're rounding a corner, but you know, you can replicate it as much as possible. And hopefully there's eventually a way for you to get to meet some of those team members in person, even if it's just one or two times here and there, I think that just establishes an even greater relationship because you've talked to them so many times, you finally meet them in person and the the collaboration gets even better. Yeah. Yeah. Ideally. Ideally. Right. Yeah. Right. All right. And then I think uh, just one final piece of advice here um, before we get out of here is documenting your work. Um, I found this effective as a form of self-accountability. You know, it's sometimes too easy to sit down and work and work and work. And then you look up and, you know, it's time to stop working. And you think to yourself, what's the day? Where's the day gone? I feel like I haven't gotten anything done. And it you just sometimes can get down on yourself and be a little bit, um, you know, frustrated. And, and that can be a negative cycle. Um, so you should really kind of document the things that you're doing as you're doing them, you know, almost like a work diary or, or something. And, and really, it lets you look back at your day and say, oh, actually, I spent like 30 minutes working on this project and I delivered it. And I, here's this other thing that I did that got delivered. And here's this other thing. And I hit a milestone, you know, the, the whole thing's not done, but I, I got from, you know, 30% to 60%. And, and just to document those things for yourself is, is super healthy. Where do you document these things, John, if you don't mind me asking? Sure. Um, 
Google has a little built-in tool to calendars that lets you, lets you do that. Um, but you can keep a work diary in, you know, something as simple as, um, you know, Microsoft Word or Office Docs or, you know, OneNote or Evernote or, you know, whatever, you know, note-taking tool that you do in whatever structure that you use, you know, it, it can be as simple as a, you know, text doc, right? It's like, did this thing today, did this thing today, did this thing today, you know, just, you know, a reminder of, of the things that you do. And, you know, by the way, this can be super helpful um, if you document, you know, major milestones and, you know, you, you notice things get done and then you see impacts of the things that you do, like it, it's helpful when uh, review time comes around to have this document and you say, well, here's all the things that I did. Um, going along with that, I think that it's helpful to calendar everything. Um, this is just general advice anyway, but it's, especially it becomes really, you know, critical when you are working remotely that you block time off in your calendar to do the things that you need to do. If you need uninterrupted time to work on a document or a plan or to brainstorm, then you should mark that on your calendar as you know, you being busy and not available. And if you have something that you don't mind being interrupted for, then mark that on your calendar. Like, hey, I'm working on this, but I am available to be interrupted so that, you know, your coworkers can, you know, interrupt you with Slack or chat or whatever it is that you happen to be using. Um, I, I found that to be extremely helpful and it helps me recreate my day, you know, going back to that self accountability and documentation step. So I know, you know, I blocked it off. I said, this is what I was going to do. You know, it can be another documentation piece. You can say at the end of the time or whenever you finish the task, then you can put that in the notes for that quote unquote meeting, right? On that time you can say, Oh, and I got it done and delivered it to, you know, this person. So, you know, it's, it's documented somewhere. It, it's, it's always better to have like central documentation, but if you can recreate it from, you know, the various places that you're storing the things, you know, that that'll work. Yeah. I think that, I think that's smart. I think it could be a challenge for people who maybe have to answer phone call after phone call after phone call. Like they're just part of a call queue and they're providing some type of support to someone on the other end. I know there's an element of documentation probably for each case they work, but I think it's probably pretty challenging for them to do calendaring because of the fact that they, there's an expectation that they be readily available. Maybe, maybe there's some kind of shift rotation there where they get focus time in addition to that. Yeah. And that's about, you know, creating effective teams. If, if you have to be on call or in a call, you know, staffing a call queue um, at the same time that you have to be doing knowledge work, you know, that can be pretty destructive. And, and generally, you know, the thing that, um, you know, managers will try to do is to say, okay, here's the time, here's your uninterrupted, you know, 30 minutes where you can get, you know, work, do your knowledge work. And then here's where you're last in line in the queue. And here's where you're second to last in line in the queue. And here's, where, you know, and, and so on and so forth. So you get, you know, further and further ahead in the queue, and then you're taking more and more of the calls. But even if you're in a two-person team, 
to say like, no, this person is the filter and is taking the calls and this person is doing uninterrupted work and then alternating between those two roles on every, you know, hour or, you know, 40 minutes or, or whatever is effective. I mean, that that's really important so that at least one of the people on the team can get uninterrupted knowledge work done. And the other person is in kind of interruptible mode, right? One thing I was going to say on your previous point that just came to me about the self-accountability helps with performance review, but it also helps you with accomplishments that you can put on LinkedIn, your resume that you've tracked. You know, obviously you'd have to aggregate the things that you had tracked in your daily work mm-hmm. when you get to those big milestones, but it's a, a nice place to go look every so often. Maybe it's quarterly that you can go and, and update your resume and LinkedIn with. Yeah, absolutely. And what is an interview except a different form of performance review, right? So um, it's it's always important to keep that resume up to date. Maybe you're applying a, for a job internally, you know, if you work at a large enough company, or maybe you're applying for a promotion type of job and you need to be able to point to, you know, accomplishments and impacts that you've had. So, you know, all of those, all those uh, things are options. So always important. Uh, anything else, Nick, before we get out of here? No, I think that's all. Just a reminder that we want people to subscribe and give us a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening. We want to know if we're being helpful and are always looking for interesting questions to ponder. We're collectively on Twitter at Nerd Journey. All right. Farewell, listeners, and tune in next time as the journey continues. I'm John White at B Journeyman for Nick Cordy at Network Nerd underscore, signing off. Adios. No longer working remotely. <laughs> <laughs>